Let's do a show, shall we? Why not? All right. Welcome to part two on Invasion of the Body Snatchers. With us again, we are so lucky to have Amelia Campbell. Amelia, thank you for being back with us. Thank you for having me, sirs. How was your week, both of you? Good, good. I mean, you know, uh, it was a blur. Uh, coming, yeah. we, we just finished principal photography on the movie that we've been working on, and so uh, we're kind of recuperating from a month and a half of stressful yeah. work and, um, and getting back to the normal stressful things of keeping your, you know, your the lights on in your apartment. If I might say, uh, I think you're getting better at filmmaking because the last one took you about seven years to make, and this one you made it in a month. Yeah, well, yes, that's true. <laughs> we're, we're we're amping up the speed at which we can uh, make this stuff. That's awesome. And Amelia, how about you? I I'm very well. I'm um, looks like I'm going to be teaching at, at HB Studios, a theater class, which is great. I've been doing a lot of on camera, so it'll be be nice to be back into to focusing on some some theater scenes let me just do a quick ad plug for you guys that if you are listening to this and you've ever thought of acting at all or you are an actor and want to refine your skills or you're a master actor and whatever your situation is there are no two better coaches instructors teachers you could have than my co-host and his lovely wife uh you guys are the best so how can people find your class? Like, can they do it online still, even though it's back to on-person post-COVID? Uh, yeah, well, our ongoing audition, uh, on-camera audition class is at the Scott Freeman Studio. So you could just look us up at Freeman Studios. Um, in New York. Yeah, New and York. that's a, that's an in-person class. Yeah, um, that's a, a lot of stuff is starting to switch back to in-person, which is which is great. I mean, yeah, it's a little it. hard to teach acting over the internet. And um <laughs> And um, though doable, like it's actually you can get a lot more done than we thought initially, because mm -hmm. uh, there are still ongoing classes there that you you know you can have everybody join in from all over the world, and that's a great benefit. Right. Um, but we're back to like mostly in person, and and it's exciting. Um, and uh, so you'd have to be New York to come to those classes right now. Um, but you. if there's stuff that comes up that's online, I'll, we'll we'll definitely let everybody know. And thank you for that plug and those kind words. Um, if you ever, you know, for instance, do uh, like, you know, a golfing instructing thing or how to put up drywall or something, I uh -huh. will go to bat 100%. You're the guy to go to. I really appreciate that, buddy. It's really nice of you. I will just quickly say, since we're there, you mm -hmm. can reach me going to my website, ameliacampbell.com. If you want to email me and want to contact me, you can go through my website. So. Perfect. Thank or, you so much, Maddie. I will also get Thank complaints you. about myself through that same portal. <laughs> yes. So feel yes, free. Yes, complaints, compliments, yeah. you know. How about just general acting notes for Tony? Where would I send those? Right on the through, right? The same place. Great. She'd love Great. to see those first. I think so. there was a balloon that they shot down that maybe it was. <laughs> that was my career. Well. <laughs> that was my acting career. <laughs> That's what that was. Yeah. Well, was. Amelia, you're getting good at this because that's an awesome segue to how I wanted to open the show. Before we get into Invasion of the Body Snatchers 1978 version, as our part two, we wouldn't be a paranormal podcast if we didn't address the elephant in the room, and that is the 
I don't know, flurry of activity that's happened over the last week regarding government shooting down objects. And um, if you're aware at all of the news, you've seen it all. Um, I mean, Tony, you and I have been calling each other, texting each other over the past week and a half or so uh, about this issue. I mean, I do. Where do we, where do we even start? More, look, you were talking about these three objects that were shot down. I've seen more evidence of Jimmy Hoffa's actual death than uh, than anything about these objects. I don't mean to be like negative, but are they? Did they even happen? Who knows, man? Well, I sent you an actual headline from today that was not a Onion or Babylon B or satirical. I thought it headline. was an Onion headline. I, I, I did too. It. Um, it was that the White House said a large proportion possibly of these objects that we're worried about are the, I don't even know how to describe them. You know, those long elongated blow up people that are at used car lots that blow in the wind from, from the movie. Nope. Yeah. From Nope. Exactly. Think of Nope. And uh, they said that that's what has been flying through the air. So I guess they had used car lots with those uh, blow up figures, like in the Middle Ages. And, and yeah, uh, there was somebody yeah. else, some some elderly uh, ex official from some, some musty corner of the Pentagon who they trotted out to say what he thought it was. He goes, "Look, everybody knows it's it's just sky trash." It's a lot. There's a lot of sky trash out there, and it's just sky trash. Sky trash. What are you talking about? It's like they're unaware that we're aware now. You know, it's like they're repeating the same. It's. It reminded me of Roswell in terms of things got shot down after the balloon, and I use balloon in quotes because who knows what was going on there. And then they immediately come out and say again, DOD, everyone. Your government, yep, we shot something down and we don't know what it is. And it moved at unbelievable speeds. And some pilots are saying this and some pilots are saying that. And then all of a sudden, really fast, it turned into, it was nothing. Oh, and by the way, we can't recover it, but not aliens. Don't worry, everyone, not aliens, but we can't recover it. Yeah. And it just reminded me, in my mind, I flashed the Roswell picture of, you know, day before, oh my God, we shot down a UFO. And then all of a sudden he's holding the weather balloon in the picture. It was it, nothing. Literally, as a weather it's balloon. the same. It's the same story. Repeat. And they think we're not aware or something. Are they not aware that people have been watching shows like ancient aliens for 11 years now? And like, we're all hit to this. It's just unbelievable. Uh, I'm still stuck. As I said to you last night, when we talked in, in a, in a frenzy about this, like, you know, why, why tell us any, why say any of this? It's not like they, if it's top secret and they're doing, stuff you know that they do the military i'm i'm 100 percent behind there being top secret shit they gotta do of course that they gotta do sure they don't tell us about that is it because it's happening supposed well it's not over our airs it was well it was over alaska but it was also over canada we're involved in all yeah. this stuff of this nothing sandwich and why what's the point what why they they could have said nothing yeah. Nobody would have known anything. Right. And it's like, it felt, I said to you on the phone, I was like, something happened because there was such a break screech. There was such a reversal of the way it was going in a 24 hour period. Everyone who's official who talked about this started saying it was nothing. Don't worry about it. Not aliens, which always makes my spidey senses tingle a lot. And it, I just, I just want to say this in a public record. What they said was so disrespectful to the credible witnesses who've been coming forward with this stuff for decades and decades and decades now to dismiss it and, and 
have someone say sky trash and have someone say that's nothing. Don't worry about it. We can, we just can't get it. So don't worry. But it was no evidence of aliens. It's just like it's like we, we took a thousand steps back. It felt like in the last seventy two hours. Well, like I said, it's kind of on us if we're waiting for the military industrial complex to give us answers about important scientific well or humanitarian or philosophical ideas. It's I mean, there we're it's like you're you're like we say over here at the house, like going to the hardware store for for oranges. It's like they just don't. It's not what they do. Well and said. and so if we're if we're tuning in to hear what these guys have to say it's on us to be confused and upset because they're just doing their job they're just doing what they think their job is and uh, and mm -hmm. it isn't really got anything to do with aliens it was probably what it is right i just don't know why they got to talk about it so much if there's if there's not right, I, why rile everybody up it doesn't yeah, seem right. like there's any point to that what's interesting jeremy corbell and this is the last thing i'll say about it talked about this mosul sphere that's an interesting um, just, yeah this mosul orb is probably a better or you know mosul ball um and mosul ball sounds like a bar game <laughs> <I don't... laughs> yeah um what do they actually call it the mosul orb were they calling it? it's not an orb it's made of steel i don't know if there's an official sort of name for anything like mosul, this whatever you want to call orb. it i think they're calling it an orb let's see yeah they're calling it the mosul orb um, although orb to me has always meant light anomaly. Um, this seems to be a metal sphere. Well, that's nobody's agree. No one can agree on the terms. anymore. <laughs> right. Um, but Jeremy Corbell, who has been, you know, quite reliable or at least everything he has put out has come to He's got bear. a great track record. Yeah. He has a great track record. He released a video. He says it's absolutely from our government it's a military video of a metal ball it looks like it looks like a pinball yeah it looks like a silver pinball um flying at apparently an unbelievable rate of speed and in all kinds of weird directions like we heard about the nimitz incident with those pilots um but it was flying over mosul during an active battle um in 2016 i believe and right. what he tweeted out kind of cryptically was to understand what the government is doing right now and why they're, he didn't say this in my words, but the insinuation is why they're acting so weird. You have to understand, you have to look at this story. He said, look at the Mosul orb and you will understand why they're freaking out and why things are getting so weird. Okay. And so some sort of craft we don't understand moving in ways we don't understand over an active battle site. And I must say also these Things that were shot down, whatever they were, were, were over military installations, and in some well, cases, that's that's where nuclear installations. So go fast in the Tic Tac, and the, all the other ones were around too, yeah. around yeah. warships and stuff. I mean, so I, you know, hmm. and I'm a little bit like, of course, why wouldn't they? You know, it's as if they just hope that we forgot that they admitted that for over two years, or maybe quite a bit longer, we were getting buzzed on a daily basis by dozens of these of objects, not these, I don't, they haven't told us whether these objects from up north have anything to do with the stuff we've seen on the coast. So, yeah. you know, again, that's why it's like silly to tune in in a way, yeah. because I mean, uh, it's, it's, well, hard. I can't tell you how many times my recycle bin and my trash can have floated at 40,000 feet, just still and then moved at an incredible rapid rate of speed and outflew uh, aircraft. It happens all the time. Sky trash. Sky trash. It's a big problem. We all, we, we've all seen it. <laughs> it's since Amelia. American Beauty, the sky trash has been uh, on the forefront since that movie. 
they're chasing plastic bags. Um, Amelia, thank you for letting us go off on this. What are your thoughts on this whole situation? Well, I was in Boston visiting my mom and oh. we were watching the news and the, when they were first talking about this balloon, you know. And, yeah. Um, it, it's interesting to go from, oh, look, mom, what's that in the sky to this conversation to what was I watching with my mom? Huh. I don't know. They brainwashed you. They got to you. It's missing time. Is what you're you forget. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did anyone put a silver bar in your eye and flash a light? Uh, Wait, who, who, who am I? Okay. We'll just re, we'll cut, we'll reconvene. <laughs> we'll do this at another time. Don't worry, Amelia. Come with Tony and I. Everything <laughs> will be fine. <laughs> Which is actually a great segue into this movie. Indeed. Because <laughs> that's what happens. Um, yeah, but it was weird. We were having like, it felt like we we're having an alien invasion for about 24 to 48 hours. It felt like well, it was actually because happening. they were implying that that's I what's know. going on. I mean, it's like, that, they, they're like looking askance at the American people now going, come on guys, it's not alien. It's like, you were the ones who said it might be on exactly. Time magazine. I mean, like, I'm sorry. Exactly. Or, and that's why I want to know what happened. Somebody said, somebody put the brakes yeah. on big yeah. time sure. in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that means that, they know exactly what it is and it's nothing and like whoa 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 this story got out of control or that they don't know what this is or they, or they know exactly what it is and it blew them away yeah. too much and they said stop talking about it or whatever something happened i think whatever it is that they think they know it is it only means that they realize they know that it is something they don't know anything about <sighs> well let's talk about uh, movies for god's sake okay so that's exactly right amelia i was just making the joke that uh Tony and I were not who we seemed to be and somehow luring you into a trap. That's what this movie brings up. Of course, it's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1978 version, following our 1950s version. Oh, and let me mention our top three tonight. Um, and if you've seen this movie in anticipation of tonight's episode, or you've seen it before, you're going to know why we picked this. Our top three is top three male perms in movie history. <laughs> top three male perms perms so get your list ready and play <laughs> and i think you know i don't need to explain why we picked that but we started last week um with talking about the opening scene in the 1950s version of this movie which you know kind of as i described it to you like wow what a scene and this 1978 version has a much different scene um talk about how this movie kicks off and it in a way it kind of tells the whole story that the original holds on to in its back pocket for so long, right? Yeah, it does. I mean, I don't know. It's funny. Um, I was I was hoping that you were going to launch into like, well, when did you first see this or how? Because you actually hit on like something I don't like about this version. And I've seen it a ton. I, lo I love the movie, but I think they they oddly did the same thing that the first one did, and they but they did it to themselves. Mm. It, they, they give you like this this opener which um i think only goes to kind of demystify the rest of the movie a little bit and mm -hmm. uh, to put it's kind of like talking about mike michael myers you know it, you know his backstory in the original halloween like it wouldn't be that scary and i know they've already said what's going on but just from the attitude of of what you see is less scary than what you don't see. 
actually seeing Always. these beings and leaving their planet and traveling through space it, it it makes it more like a like a richard attenborough documentary yeah you know and 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 so it 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 i don't think does any favors to the movie it's it's kind of cool and it's a grabber and i know why they may have done it yeah but on repeated viewings it's just something that i feel would have been much more effective if we'd started in the park in the rain on earth yes. not knowing yes. what was going on yeah like from their pov kind of i when did 2001 a space odyssey come out before this right oh, oh yeah yeah it's 68 felt like it was them trying to kind of do something like that in a way um have a grabber sci-fi shot you know um like you said I, they did it themselves i'm surprised that it start that way. <laughs> doesn't start that way no not at all I, i'm just talking in general of the like a space race movie version like what okay. you know yeah. how can we wow people with this incredible sci-fi space shot you yeah, know totally. um everyone was trying to kind of i feel like do that and maybe there was some sort of i'm surprised it wasn't studio influence actually well, it may, you know, whether it was directly or not, it seems to be influenced by studio thinking anyway, like that kind of a grabber opening doesn't, if they'd, if they'd really thought about it and they really thought about why it was, why scenes like that are in a movie, it's, it's, um, it's the same reason they put the thing in the beginning of, uh, you know, the first one. Right. Um, right. You don't think people can handle a slow burn. Right. And to slowly get involved in a, in the mystery of a story, they want to they want to you know entice you first, which I get. But then they give away the mystery, the, some of the mystery. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I totally agree with that. It's like uh, if the less we had known would have been better. But kind of the first thing that happens is we meet uh, San Francisco Health Department uh, laboratory scientist Elizabeth Driscoll. She's she's at work doing her thing and we kind of get into her life. We get into Donald Sutherland's life a little bit. Um, those opening moments in San Francisco. Uh, talk about that. And and maybe if you can, I don't want to give you like a too difficult of assignment. Uh, contrast and compare it with the 1950s version in those kind of opening most how we meet the characters in the 1950s version versus this one, you know, besides obviously the style and things like that. Yeah. Well, I had been thinking about that because it was the, you know, it's the big question. What's different about these two movies? And, right. and there's a huge difference. I think you hit on it. Um, this movie, the first film in 56 starts out with a, with a portrait of, of what would be almost like a utopian, normal American society, vision of society from mm -hmm. that time. That's working and everybody is kind of, a, you know, appears to be on the same page um and but in a, in a friendly way in a, in a human way it seems like that's an agreed upon good place to live and be um this one is you know it's post watergate now when they make this it's post all the you know assassinations and we're post 60s and we're in the middle of the 70s and we start in a destroyed already destroyed place mm. the america that Cal that phil kaufman the director's is talking about had already kind of been destroyed in a lot of ways. And this is like, you know, as pretty as San Francisco is, it's hard to make it look anything but pretty on camera. They, they do show you a lot of urban decay yeah. and a lot of broken buildings and, and empty lots and suspicious faces. And there's also this kind of weird, you know, I mean, granted, everybody's looking at films through a much more, you know, racially politicized lens right now, which is, you know, which is, I guess, good. 
some movies don't hold up to that kind of scrutiny or you need to kind of adjust for time or whatever mm. to enjoy it. But um, I think very on purpose, Phil Kaufman's also showing a movie where the main characters are kind of at odds with their city right away. Um, they seem like they're almost preyed upon before this starts and not by pod people, by, by just the kind of a grim um, overcast view of America. Mm. So that to me is this is a really huge, huge difference. Um, you end up going like, well, what are they fighting for? Really? Their humanity. They already feel like there's just this small group of people, these friends who are, you know, kind of like, not like the rest of the city, mm. not like the rest of their world. Um, and they already mistrust it. Yeah. And there's such a, like an inherent cynicism to this one right off the bat compared to the fifties style, yeah. like the fifties movie. He's like this family doctor who's going to a small town to help everyone. And gosh, gee, Willikers, you know, and get in the car and, and, and not that there weren't deep themes as we talked about last week, but I'm just talking about the general tone of the beginning and how we meet people. And then, you know, Donald Sutherland's character is dealing with like, food poisoning and like gross it's it's very dirty it's very gritty yeah. it seems very and cynical he's dealing right with like shutting down businesses like mm. you know there there are all these dirty looks he gets from the kitchen staff yes black or like you know you're gonna shut you're gonna cost me my job bureaucracy so, red tape yeah it looks like yeah. these ex-social crusaders have settled for she settled for a rich yuppie guy you mm. know and, you know, who's already kind of distant and, and brainwashed by media and sports and stuff. And yeah, he's settled for clipping things out of a newspaper and, and shutting down restaurants as if that is something is the same as the 60s. And, it, and it's not. Yeah, it's like this 69 summer of love is dead. And all all those people are now doing this and they're all well, bureaucrats. Ultima right? happened, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. I it's, remember reading an article one time about the song um, Our House by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Oh, I thought you by Madness, it? which I prefer. <laughs> and there's a line in it. Life used to be so hard. Yeah. But now I'm just home with my cats. And so it was like how that kind of accidentally crystallized the end of that whole thing summer of 69 and all that because he was basically describing domestic bliss kind of the, <laughs> the end of the dream and then these people kind of what happens to them and then now here they are he said shutting down restaurants you know giving out fines yeah working in the lab Remember married the to a state. yuppie right interesting um i'm curious you know before we get too far into yeah. the analysis what what you know and i know part of this but what what was it that made you choose uh, this movie to to talk about or mm. to, to recommend that we see? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, as I said last week, I had I wasn't as familiar with the 56 version. I actually hadn't seen it. I, so I was introduced to this story um, via this movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember so many things sticking out to me about it and actually one of the things is, is is in the opener when there are all the visuals of these, whatever they are, floating down and then getting into the plants and then the speed of which they root, um, uh. which then is then uh, um, Brooke Adams' character talks about later, see how fast the roots grow. Mm. Um, and that sense of dread right from the beginning, what is, how is this gonna lead into these people's lives? Um, in terms of why else I picked this, um, well, I mean, I, I, all of the performances, um, are 
some of my favorites. Yeah. And um this, and not just from genre movie, but like just are you talking yeah. like just in general? All timer. Seventies yeah. movies or Yeah. Yeah, and the two of them together, Donald Sutherland and Brooke Adams, um, just their their just what they open up in each other and mm. the chemistry is just so it's great chemistry um and then i'm a huge fan of veronica cartwright and jeff goldblum and the two of them are great amelia when did you first see this were you a little girl like uh or did you see it later in life i don't remember i yeah. don't i don't I think don't i was a little girl i don't i don't think i i i was i was easily scared when i was a little girl so mm -hmm. i horror films and films of this kind were were, were later for me after I do she remember. got involved with ruffians <laughs> like myself uh, okay. Man, it was all downhill amelia <laughs> um, i i do remember and this triggered and something i want to talk about i remember my mother having two books and i must have been eight or something you know and i remember she had coma like the book based on the movie coma with a person lying was that, was that michael Crichton? i think so and like the yeah. strings holding the person yeah, up and i remember looking at that cover and it scared the shit out of me as a little kid and then she had a book a few down beneath that and it was uh invasion of the body snatchers now a major motion picture movie is probably a year old at the time whatever and i remember adults talking about it vaguely but it triggered in me watching this movie just what happened to us in the 70s with our style i mean <laughs> Now it's retro cool to have like bell bottoms and wide collars and stuff. And it's like, just the style got so out of control. When you look at the fifties, like the restaurant they walk into, it's like so cool and minimalist. And then this movie is just all macrame and ferns. And it was yeah. like, this is my childhood. Every house I walked into had shag carpeting, including my own uh, macrame and more plants than any greenhouse has ever had. Houses were into plants in the seventies. Like what the hairstyles, the clothing is just yeah. like Fitted yarn things hanging from ceilings. That's yes. right. And, and as we said last week, it was only 20 years later. It wasn't 57 years later. It was only 20 years later. Yeah. And you talk about a change and I'm being somewhat funny and facetious. Cause I just think the style of that time was so bad and ugly and gross, but let's talk about, let's try to be like fancy film reviewers here and, what does that represent? You know, we had talked last week a little bit about this growing sense of unrest, as you said, about everyone mow your lawn the same way and like kind of freedom that came in the 70s. Suburban housewives going, no, no, I'm not doing this. I'm going to, you know, do art and do po pottery and screw you. And the ERA movement, I remember my mom having an ERA button on her purse, you know, on her, on her knit macrame purse. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. There's no question here, but just I noticed that. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it, you know, uh, the first thing is like it, it was shot in the 70s, so they, they couldn't escape the style of the decade they were in that that was where they were. Right. Um, I think they. Yeah, I think it's a beautifully designed movie. Um, it's it a really well, you know, art directed film. And so I think um, a lot of those wall hangings and plants and stuff that you're seeing are, are there as, you know, designed to to support the the implant invasion myth That's so a huge part of it yes there's, no doubt. there's you know even even the even the rugs and the wall hangings they're yarn but they they look like plant growth they look like these molds that are infesting everything so yes i think they really do use that kind of musty 70s quality to good effect in the movie and they also you know have a kind of a weird kind of like greenish tint to some of this that feels kind of like organic 
yeah a little bit putrid it, it, it's it, it's uh all on purpose i think you know yeah. i mean some of those hand wall hangings and, and then things are really big the macrame here is like extra sized yes even the 70s so i think they found yes. like some oversized <laughs> stuff it's, well eat. it's an amazing kind of it, they were lucky in that sense like or I, i'm not saying it wasn't intentional but i mean um the style of the time enabled them to be able to give you that sense of like nature is closing in on us because you're right like every they're having dialogue in just like her apartment you feel like the ferns are like closing yeah. in on you it's like everywhere yeah. you turn there's another plant yeah and, and so yeah. but they got away with it because that was the style of the time yeah um, but the way they shot it very intelligently was to kind of make us feel the intrusion of nature in yeah. an unnatural way maybe he also shoots phil kaufman's also shooting through a lot of glass and plastic through a lot of this movie and a lot mm. of it's broken actually or distorted which is interesting like a lot yeah. and there's yeah. reflections all the time yes yeah. i mean the first time we were introduced to miles bennett uh or is it bennett in this movie it's miles sutherland's character matthew his no math that's right yeah. matthew yeah, they bennett. Have different names matthew bennett in this. yes matthew oh, bennett right, miles bennett is in the movie later he's the same yeah. guy <laughs> and i think i think it's bennell isn't it that, like it's slightly different than bennett in the Benel. 50s i think yeah, Benel, yeah matthew, Benel. matthew Benel, right dr yeah. matthew Benel, slight little change the i like first it. time we see him is through this peephole of a of a door in a restaurant right, in a back right, alley right. door and it's this distorted very wide angle creepy thing where he kind of looks in the lens and his face gets all distorted and then those guys who he nearly maybe gets fired from their job because he's you know busting the restaurant right throw a wine bottle at his at his uh, window uh, yep which shatters and leaves his windshield which were see through the movie a lot through the rest of the movie is broken yeah. so it shatters the windshield and then there's glass all over the place and he's using the wiper blades to wipe away broken glass off mm. of the windshield instead of rain which i just found to be like awesome i don't know there's something about that metaphor that just really clicked in and they use that again and again like in the in the steam baths there's all the plastic sheeting mm. that they're shooting through and um and there's also so, the mud itself that yeah, the, that the yeah. guys yes. soak in and what's under there what's in yeah, there it's got a visceral rotting oh. quality to it this movie Dirty, which which is decay. really appropriate it's not always pretty but it's yeah. really appropriate no it gets sticky and tactile and grosser as it goes on to the point where you just want to like wash your hands and like i think we did a thing one time. Why am I? Why are you touching why that? You I, think, I think we referenced this the yeah. massage scene, the massage parlor scene, and like, why are you touching you that did. goo? Yeah. You touched it. All of you touched it. So yeah, it is fantastic. I also want to ask you, Tony and, and Amelia, about how he moves the camera. I noticed early on, um, he spins the camera a lot. It's dizzying. It's 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 like um, there's a there's an early scene when they're together in the car. Brooke Adams and Donald Sutherland are in the car and, you know, people are getting chased and it, it's early in the movie and it's an awesome scene. Yeah. Amazing see, like, scene. crowds in the deck in the back yes. chasing. Yeah. Yes. And you kind of catch wind of it as the viewer in the car with them. You're like, what is going on here? People running through the streets. You're not sure what's going on. It's very, I thought to myself, uh, boy, M night Shyamalan watched this movie and was influenced by it. Cause it was a very M night Shyamalan type of scene, you know, where, things are happening naturally around the characters having dialogue and you see yes. it as the audience you're like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? Whoa, whoa, whoa. And it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And it's really well done. But in those shots in the city early on, and as it goes too, he kind of spins around Donald Sutherland a lot. And, um, you know, there's a phone boost scene where he spins around him and 
um, I thought to myself, like, man, he's really trying to give us a sense of disorientation. Yeah. And that feeling you have when you don't know what's going on, but you know something's going on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's true. There's a lot of disorienting camera work in it, very much on purpose, I think. You know, there's one there's one f- famous scene. This was this was shot by Michael Chapman, who is a great great director of photography. I mean, he shot Raging Bull and Taxi Driver among other amazing films. And so Never heard of them. That, never heard of, I know, but these are art movies. You'll get Okay. Them. Okay. Someday maybe um, I'll so he's coming out of that like New York school of like really gritty, real yeah. 70s vibe movies. And then to Dang see it. him put the same level of thought into a genre movie is, is really exciting for me to, to watch how he how he how his eye uh, translates into science fiction is just mm. really cool. Um, there's a there's a talked about scene where they're in a they're in her bedroom after my after Matthew Bennell comes in to try to rescue her and he's caught and the cops are there and Art Hindle's there and everybody's in there going like are we gonna you gonna where's she gonna go I mean and what's happened here has there been is there actually a case and um there's like six actors and they're crammed in this little room and half the room is windows from the from the um the uh, there's like a, a terrarium or something outside their bedroom and they couldn't figure out how to shoot it literally it's the hardest thing to have that many characters in a small space, it would take four days to shoot that long a scene normally. And so um, Chapman says, if you if you trust me, just go with this. And he covers himself in a black, um, uh, like a velvet curtain, so you can't see him or the camera. It's just the lens pointing out. And he stood in the middle of the room and just spun around and just caught all the faces and did all these incredible zooms. And, like, and they got it done in a night it's it saved their schedule and it's such a unique way to shoot that scene and um it's so cool to go back and watch it after knowing yeah that. knowing a, that wow where it's elizabeth's double where matthew that's leaves in a block it was there david i swear to god it was there officer there was a body in there it was a duplicate of elizabeth driscoll and it's been taken elizabeth away elizabeth driscoll is a missing woman no oh, no she's not missing where what is she She's okay. She's a Matthew. Don't tell him where she is. There's no missing body. No, that's right. There is a missing body, and he's taken it away. No, he took Elizabeth. You took Elizabeth Driscoll away. Yes, you broke in here. I had to because she was not safe. So then you took Elizabeth Driscoll out of here. No, no, I didn't. No, I took her from there. Her other body was in here. That's what I've been trying to explain. Please stop. That's enough. Please stop. I mean, that's what you know. These director commentaries are fun for. You get tidbits like that. So then it's hard to answer, like. Did that come first or did the disorienting camera idea come as a result of seeing him save time with things like that? And then they go, oh, let's use that. So just curious if it's a part of, was it a part of the plan from the beginning or did the the happy accidents kind of just to make something unique, which I think to a lot of degree happened here because it's not the most expensive movie ever made. Clearly they had a limited budget and as did the first one. Hmm. I was struck by how many shots were so different uh, than the original. And yet they had some shot to shot, almost recreations from the original, which is really cool. You know, her, her, him getting her out of bed yeah. um, and when her, when he finds her duplicate, um, yeah. just things like that. It was so fun to kind of compare them and contrast them as I watched it. It's a fun fan movie that way. I mean, it really yeah. has elements that they just twist around. In, in this one it was really cool watching them back to back for for people listening i i highly recommend 
Yes. Highly recommend watching both of them. What's really interesting to me too, is how um, they're both, the politics of both are slippery in the same ways. They don't, they're neither of them are easy answers and neither of them seem a hundred percent wholly entrenched in either liberal or conservative thinking. It's, it's a very, they're, they're, they're very interesting movies that way because you think you'd think that a movie taking place in San Francisco with Donald Sutherland, that, I mean, the poster child for ex hippie, like the the most beatnik actor probably other than Elliot Gould that ever lived. Right. right. Um, You know, Brooke Adams also has this real like hippie kind of cachet quality to her, you know, then you're dealing with like the new age philosophies, which you'd think they'd be celebrating in the San Francisco environment as part of the, like the good ideology. But in fact, Nimoy's character has co-opted that. And so it's kind of a stance against new age ideology. And the problem is that it's a scarier movie because it doesn't leave these characters anywhere to go, which is very relatable to today. It starts in a bad place and it ends in a worse place, which Mm. is kind of great mode for a horror movie, you know? You brought up another item two of trauma from my childhood. (laughs) that this movie triggered and that is psychology talk. I remember that just huge trend of like people who really didn't know what they were talking about. And I knew as a kid instinctively, these adults didn't know what they were talking about, but there was a lot of like, it's where she's at, man. That's where she's at, man. And I'm just like, what, what are you? And that was just, and I really think they were like calling that to task and, and saying there's gr- great value in psychology, but in real psychology, not this shyster psychology that yeah. this guy represents. Right. Is that fair? I think so. I mean, he's, you know, he, like the, uh, the main villain in the first one is a psychologist, is a, is a psychiatrist, essentially. This guy seems to be more like a, a self-help guru. Yes. You know, I don't know if he's a bona fide psychiatrist. Yeah, he <laughs> exactly. You know, he's like, he's very nebulous. Yeah. Who, who yeah. made a lot of money in some kind of scheme, self-help scheme. And so it seems very like Nimoy's playing this character in a very performative way, yes. which yeah. at first is off-putting. You're like, is this a, is this a, weird performance or or is this character performing weird and i think that's what's going on sutherland's character vouches for him like actually hardcore yeah really and you you because because he's sutherland or, or somehow you believe right he must know something but then there's again that great quality that both movies share is the is the humanity is the fallibility of the, yeah. of the people the humans yes. in this are fallible yeah they're not always right but they're human. And, and that is enough. That's the point. You know, I think they expose Dr. David Kibner's Leonard Nimoy's character's name, the way he talks to Elizabeth Driscoll, the way he talks to Brooke Adams character is So it's exactly what the doctor did in the cellar in the 1950s version. It is very dismissive. It is very, no, 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 no. Look, little lady, here's what's going on. This is a simple trick of the brain, and which feeds into your patronizing point. And really- it's very patronizing. And I think that kind of um, exposes his character. People are changing. They're becoming less human. It's happening all around us. That's not what we're talking about. This has nothing to do with the man that I live with. It has everything to do with it. Don't you see? People are stepping in and out of relationships too fast because they don't want the responsibility. That's why marriages are going to hell. The whole family unit is shot to hell. David, you're not listening to what she's saying. Matthew, please stay out of this. You see? That's the point. I'm listening to you, but he doesn't think I am. Why? Because he doesn't expect me to bother enough or to care. 
you know, in a really smart way without showing us. We don't know. And he's got the weird leather glove. Yeah, what and is what's that? that? <laughs> and and he, he just decided to do that, right? Like a weird like character actor, choice. Character actor yeah. choice. A friend of his had one because he yes. was covering a scar up on his hand. Yes. Uh, and he just thought it would be. It's so dirty. cool because then you start thinking like, did he get a transplant from the alien? Is he already possessed as the alien? Like yeah. it just, it just, it's a bold it choice. I've remembered that half glove all my life. And I, <laughs> I been, have too. Like, what is that? You know, it's like, he's, it's I, so he's awesome. Like, is he, an and he literally like expert he, or he holds it up like three or four times. Yeah. It's like, no, not even, it's not subtle yeah, at they, all. They make a little much of it in this movie, yeah. but, but uh, yeah. it's, it is a cool detail. Like all the costumes are, I mean, you talk about the seventies, the funniest quality of it, but the beautifully yeah. costumed movie. I yeah. mean, just it, this looks real. By the point I'm making is that it looks completely real. You just don't. That, a, that apartment's a real apartment. They haven't worn these clothes. You yes. Know, like all lived in. Yeah. It's great on that score. Absolutely. The effects. Let's talk about the effects. Because I think save that opening sequence, the effects are incredible and stand up and are like, to this day, make me feel sticky and gooey and icky and um, they're really just, tactile. Yeah, they're really right and uh, practical. I think a lot of them, Tony. Oh, they're all they're It's all yeah. practical. It's all in camera. Yeah, I mean, there are process shots in the beginning with the space stuff. There's some optical shots that they do, but but all the stuff on Earth with the pods and the, it's all makeup and and real practical puppets and stuff, and a lot of, you know, KY jelly and and <laughs> yeah yeah whatever goo they could come up with. It's so good. And you had mentioned it's, um, and Amelia, I want to get your thoughts on this. You had mentioned, you know, it's, it's quote unquote politics, what, it, what it's saying. And I think that's the brilliance of both movies is that it's universal what they're talking about. And last week in that episode, we thought it was a lot about that feeling of like, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. Right. And this movie seems more I'm the only one who knows something and I'm too scared to speak about it. Mm -hmm. Everyone else is in on it. Mm -hmm. But I can't say anything. And that kind of slow crushing dread of that feeling. Yeah. And, and those are universal. So like you could have someone left right now, as a matter of fact, it happens every day. Someone on the left side of things going like, this world's insane. And then someone on the right side of things going, this world's insane. And each of them feels like the other one is the alien town yes. with everyone in on it. And they yeah. each they each feel like, I can't say anything right now because I'm going to get killed. Right. right? And the first so thing people say, you know, the, the 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 when they when they're confronting the pod stuff, and they don't know what's going on yet, is I think I'm going crazy. Am I going crazy? Right, and that's universal. And so this movie deals in that feeling. We get no lecture about Watergate. We get no lecture about specific politics, but we get the feeling, and I think that's why it still works. It's you know, it's so firmly kind of entrenched in the paranoia thriller uh, genre of the '70s. You know, there's a lot of movies that um dealt with that kind of vibe parallax view and clute and three days yeah. of the condor and i mean there's a lot of films um those were just some of the bigger ones but to see a genre movie like really lean into that um i think it's so pleasing to horror fans because it's such a, a serious-minded movie i like the yeah. first one is but everybody sees the 50s and they go oh it's kitschy but right. it, it wasn't then right uh, in a similar way, you see the styles and the bell bottoms here and you might your first takeaway might be, oh, the funny, goofy 70s. But right. um, they don't make it easy. No audience at all to try to figure out 
where they fit in on this and and um and so like clute and like the other paranoia movies of the 70s it fits in to whatever genre this story will f- kind of fit into any genre almost that mm-hmm. you throw at it that's what's so kind of cool about it even the third version is quite good as i remember i'm, I'm i never saw it um i don't think i did either it's it's good how did you guys feel about last week? We talked about one of our favorite moments and favorite shots was, you know, that kind of final scene of the town chasing them. They end up under the boards. There's a very similar kind of chase run scene in this movie at the end that involves a song, uh, which I thought was a really interesting twist on, on that whole closing sequence. It kind of, I forgot about it. Actually, it kind of blew me away. It was surprisingly emotional. Mm-hmm. Um you know, what, what are your thoughts on that, on, on the differences between the two, kind of how they handled the kind of closing moments? One of the things I really noticed because I watched them back to back was that the, the, the longer amount of time that Donald Sutherland's character is running and, and fighting hmm. and to the point where it's actually so much more devastating to me because because he fights so hard, you think if he if they get him they've gotten everybody oh wow well yeah that's exactly that's well they, i mean he's an actor that just kind of exudes some kind of humanity i don't know how to put it but there's something so human about him so so like uh he's so unselfconscious about his movie stardom he just comes off like a real man every time you see him in a movie like warts and all he's not He's kind of funny looking in a lot of the time. He doesn't like seem to be a vain. He doesn't seem to have a lot of hangups about that. So it, he seems so, his soul seems trustworthy. And you cast, usually before he started playing nefarious, like the, the other side of this, he started playing like really nefarious military guys. But back then he was the, the poster child for like the beatnik, you know, and he, uh, he truly exudes that kind of humanity. It's crushing to think that he doesn't succeed. It really is. Um, His performance is like the definition of the little thing they say, like when people make it look easy, when great athletes, like the sport's not that easy. He makes it look really easy to go out and score 30 points or hit a home run. And Donald Sutherland does not look like he's acting ever in this movie. No. You know, the way he wears his coat is just comfortable. He's just comfortable on camera. And I think you're right. You start to get lost in this fight with him. Did I ever tell you the one about the English Camel Corps? Did I? Mm-mm. They're trapped in the desert, in the Sahara Desert. They've been surrounded by Rommel for 40 days and they've run out of food. And uh, the captain comes and makes an announcement to the men. And he says, Men, I have some good news for you and some bad news for you. And one of the men says... Oh, wait, you have told me this one. Oh. because you also believe i think that he's finally got this woman's attention yeah right in another way it's similarly about relationships well i was gonna say i I don't think a small part of that is brooke adams's performance as well and their their chemistry together and and her her leaning on him and depending on him and looking looking to him for answers um no one goes alone like it's, exactly. it's the two of them together mm-hmm. and through his eyes 
Um, yeah, hundred percent. Really underrated. I do. Too. I, we. I mean, I. I fin- that was my takeaway from this watch. The big one for me was was why didn't she star in like nine hundred other well known movies? Seriously. Because she was in a lot of big films, but Dead Zone, right? She's yeah, Dead Zone, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And she's just fantastic. I mean, she's she's uh, didn't didn't get enough credit. I think people really should talk about her when they talk about this movie. I, yeah. I you know, well, it's funny they all they all talk about Donald Sutherland's um, last scream and face, which, admittedly, is top moment all time in film. Like it's up yeah. there with the top ten, wherever you want to put it. It's it's yeah. incredible. But she has a scream look in this movie too, very similar, which I never. Oh, which you right? have to do naked. Which you have to do right? naked. Yeah. exactly and it's just as scary just as disturbing just yeah. as classic but we only ever see donald because i think is the final frame of the film basically is getting uh, sucked in his mouth at the end of the movie it's exactly terrible. exactly but her you know to your point amelia it's as good if not better i mean that and and it's the first time we kind of get it and it's like I forgot well, the other about great that. pleasure for me on this is, is Veronica Cartwright. I was going to say, yeah. we get his scream, but then we get Veronica it's Cartwright's reaction. response to it. It's really oh. a reaction that yeah. sells the moment. And you can't, you know, uh, well, Ben Burt has, his the sound design is terrifying. And Ben Burt, who did the sound for Star Wars films or, you know, all the original Star Wars mm-hmm. movies, total genius. And his soundscape mm-hmm. on this is crazy. But... Veronica Cartwright's reaction is great. And that's a story behind this, which is that makes it more interesting, actually. She is involved in two stories that aren't apocryphal. They're real things that happen to her on Alien and this. Probably the couple of most famous examples of a director going, uh, not giving her the full information and rolling on a take when she actually didn't was surprised in the in the moment as wow. a person. So wow. the first one was an alien when Ridley Scott had everybody who sees the chestburster moment they didn't they knew kind of what was going to happen because they read the script it wasn't like they had no idea that this puppet was going to come out of william hurt's chest but they didn't don know hurt. don hurt right they didn't know that they had like blood cannons <laughs> poised to you know spray them with gallons and gallons of blood and that it would be that horrifying so her reaction in that movie to that is actually not Apparently, according to her, it's not acting. She was like literally that just disturbed and freaked out. <laughs> and and the same thing happens in this. They shot it the end of this movie without telling her. They hadn't decided how they were going to end. They told her. So they were going to shoot the scene where they get together. And they told they told Sutherland to do something else, which they had not rehearsed. They told each actor something different. Yeah, I so love it. She was expecting him to, you know, give her a hug. And that's what she got. And the camera just stays on her. And that it wasn't the same thing in the sense, like, she's not surprised Mm. by a bucket of blood on her face. (laughs) But to see what an actor can do to roll with something, like, she is not expecting this. And she stays in character and has the reaction that that woman would have. Oh, man. I, she, I, those, you know. Those movies, her performances in both of them are are as good as it gets. She's a gem. You should have seen Colleen's reaction to my blood cannons on Valentine's Day. Equally, <laughs> equally shocked. I would have thought she'd be nonplussed and just kind Actually, of like, yeah. Of course, she kind of she right. kind of just she kind of just wiped her face and walked out of yeah. the room. Oh. Um, yeah. Hey, 
You got to keep things fresh. Trying to think of new ways to surprise her. I do want to say at the risk of being, I sound like I'm picking on this movie, which I'm not because I love it. Like, I just love it. Like it's my own, one of my own creations. I love this movie. Yeah. But I don't think the action ender with him at the grow house holds up. It's just not a very, Phil Kaufman can't really do action. Great. He's Mm. no Don Siegel. And that sequence you know, apparently Sutherland was like, no, I want to do, I can't do Sutherland. I got to work on an impression. <laughs> I think you could probably do him. Says like, no, I want to do my own uh, work on this. I want to do the, I want to run on the catwalks and do all of it. And so they were probably like, oh, okay. okay. Uh, great. He doesn't really sell no, it. I'd agree. He's not that kind of physical actor somehow. And um, it doesn't, that has not aged on me very well. That's I'd agree. Yeah, that that that's the one sequence, and it also goes a little bit too long, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah. I it, felt the need to want to fast forward a little yeah, bit during some of that. That he's destroying the place, and you don't quite believe that he is. And yeah. And uh, on the other hand, I've seen action films where suddenly someone knew how to do things that they really didn't know how. True. So the fact that he it, is this guy it and wasn't this, is that, this guy doing it, it was that there were no. It, it, there's a way to do what he was doing. I think. Harrison Ford being the master of it is yeah. I don't know what's going on, but he sells the gags. Yeah. There are gags here, chopping those wires off the side of the catwalk and jumping onto a platform. I mean, he had no style with it. I'm going to try to do this carefully and not get hurt. And, and yes, um, yes, there's, there's an innate physicality. I don't think you can teach. Right. And, and it's just how it's your gait. It's yeah. how you move. It's at a cellular level. It's a DNA thing. And I yeah. just don't think he has. I agree. Kind of like ballet skips over one of the beams. Kind of feelings that I, yeah. I want in that. In that agreed. Section. Agreed. But he's so wonderful in, in every other measurable way in yeah. this. Um, but you my know, goodness. You know, Kaufman's not like an action guy, really. Yeah. A mood guy. So. So before we get to our top three, let's do some final thoughts, maybe favorite lines, favorite shots. Um Anything like that we've left off the table, and then we'll rate it. Um, and well, we'll get into our I, I top know three. my 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 favorite exchange. Uh, it's so favorite. I went back and watched it and wrote it wrote it out. It's mm. um, what are you talking about? A space flower? So that's is that Veronica Jeff Goldblum, Cartwright or Jeff Goldblum, Goldblum says right, that. Right, right. Um, he is unbelievable in that whole sequence. She says she says, "Well, why not a space flower? Why do we always expect metal ships?" <laughs> Mm, man and then he says like tony he says i've never expected metal ships (laughs) i do love that and 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 i also bring this up because this is the kind of thing that and i was just talking to my cousin who's not a horror fan they're like you know she's like it's all they're all scary movies and like yeah but there's all this humanity there are these humans just being humans being funny and odd and their own selves and that's just another one of the gems that I find in this mm. in this film. Like, like, yeah, like its predecessor, I I would have been happy to watch a a rom com about these four these two couples yeah. hanging out in San Francisco mm. and ditching her stupid yuppie boyfriend. Like, I would yeah. have watched them uh, absolutely. Yeah. And this horrible event is an intrusion onto their humanity in their life which you yeah. know that's that's why phil kaufman is a celebrated filmmaker that's really what he brought to this more than what another director like you know who uh, peter hyams or somebody who might have directed this other than him he he just he cares about people mm-hmm. and he knows that's what 
is the real special effect and and um it's evident in his casting and and how he thought about these these people and really lets them have fun as performers you know they're yeah. not always just playing horror movie beats that he's subscribe you know prescribed to them they're really kind of inhabiting these these worlds and there's a lot of humor in this that i think that don siegel wanted in his first one that Phil Kaufman wanted to kind of give back to this movie. And I guess Don Siegel got it, gave it the thumbs up because he's in this. Don Siegel has a pretty big part in this movie. Did you know that? Yeah. And and talk about that. Talk about that performance and also a couple cameos uh, from people who might be unexpected, including Bobby Duvall shows Bobby up. Duvall. Uncredited. That's my favorite shot sequence. That was, that actually, that opener with the- I was going to pick that. should have opened the movie, but it, it, yes. it's the early thing that happens, which is yes. so weird and yes. iconically mm -hmm. strange. Yes. So that shot and, to me is great. And also we were asking like favorite shots, but it, the guys in suits standing in rubble strewn buildings, handing out pods, awesome. that's like- that's better than the Pink Floyd album cover. Like that's, yeah. that's <laughs> should have been on t-shirts. Yeah. It's awesome. And then we have um, the good doctor from the original, the 58 version showing up in this movie. Yeah, McCarthy comes back. Mm -hmm. Like he's been screaming about it for 25 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that they gave him that part too, yeah. because it's like, yeah, he's just, yeah. They changed, they changed <laughs> yeah. Sutherland's name. So that could be him. So cool. Yeah. So cool. Oh my God. Lock the door. They're coming. They're Please. coming. Help. Help. They're coming. They're coming. Listen to me. No, Listen. Help me. You're next. Please. Please. You're next. We're in danger. Please. Listen to me. Something terrible. Please. You're next. Here they are. They're already here. Come. Gosh, I had a favorite line. What was? Oh, uh, the, the, this exchange. Some. I'm paraphrasing, but uh, caper. Rat turd. It's a caper. It's a rat turd. You know that little back and forth they have in the it's diner. It's a caper. Eat it. It's a caper. <laughs> and and it's funny, but it also highlights what we were talking about earlier, the kind of juxtaposition between the crumbling society are heading into rat turd land. It's kind of like a wow. smart way to foreshadow. Yeah. Also, like the use of the red light district, that's heartbreaking to me because they, like, near the end of the movie when it's all the conspiracies really crushed him and he's like wandering through the streets. Oh, yes. His mind trying to yes. figure out what's going on. Yes. It's kind of at night, dusk, and he's passing by like all the barkers who are trying to get dudes to come into the strip joints and stuff. Mm, right. That's what Phil Kaufman chooses to show us. And it's clearly they're not pods. See, that's the cool thing about it. I think that sex industry probably would shut down if the pods took over, right? There'd right, be because no more no pleasure. All that's done. So these right. is real. These is now these are humans. Right. But it's horrible. It's like a, it's a kind of a hellscape. And I, the idea of like Sutherland being trapped in this place where he's, they're in a horrible place and going somewhere even worse, mm. never better pointed out than in that sequence. That just mm. is really unnerving. Speaking yeah. of barkers, how about the, 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 the dog? And oh, the, the dog, the dog face, the dog face, which <laughs> is very thing. Right, it reminds Ooh, me of very thing. thing right? Absolutely, yes. And yeah. you figured out how it happened because the, the well, pod he was... kicks the pod. That she kick. He kicks the pod accidentally, stepping over the sleeping dog and guy, and then you assume so and blood blended. comes out, and so yes. that went wrong, or yes. something went right because that is great stuff. <laughs> that was that's maybe my favorite moment actually. <laughs> you know who's playing banjo in that? Uh, uh Steve Martin. No, Jerry Garcia. Oh. Oh, no kidding. Perfect. San Francisco. Sure. That's, yeah. 
Uh, yeah. He yeah. added a song so for uh, yeah. he added a song for the movie. Dig it. All right. So I'm going to ask you both a question, and then I'm going to enrage Tony. Go do uh, it. I'm going to throw. I love throwing wrinkles at him. I haven't done it in a while. How does it rate to you, paranormal wise? Forget all the fancy movie talking we've been doing. Do you think it portrays something paranormal in a in a in a believable way? Yeah, I do. I mean, I I have to I have to concur with earlier in the conversation about how it kind of it, it kind of tells us that from the very beginning, whereas the first one doesn't. Right. Um, so that was really my main hesitation was, but I don't that doesn't really have anything to do with is it paranormal or not. Uh, I, I it still does certainly does seem to be wh- whatever those pods are, whatever that stuff in the rain from wherever yeah well being as my main complaint is that why are the why are the pods they are handing out so damn big if a little tiny flower pod can yeah. in seven mm-hmm. hours turn mm-hmm. him overnight so art hindle's so well cast in this as her boyfriend mm-hmm. her yuppie boyfriend yeah. but he, so he already seems like a pod yeah no yes. and it's interesting <laughs> that she's the one who actually kills him she brings the flower and puts right. it by his bed Right. And so, but all that happened so quickly. I'm wondering why they couldn't just hand out like smaller football sized pods. It would be a little less obvious. And the sports reference would have been nice tie into him. But um, (laughs) overall, I think they handled the, the supernatural paranormal qualities really, really well. I mean, considering it's in color, they show more than they did in the fifties. I'm more a fan of the fifties style of, of, you know, uh, kind of romancing it and keeping things much more in the shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they do a great job with it. And I'm prone to want to give it a P for, for paranormal, though I know you're going to give me a fight on it. And I thought about it myself because I'm like, well, there's there's two of them. I mean, there's arguably three that are worth it. But, you know, does one of them win? And I really think that uh, they're both equally matched. I, I feel like if one goes on yeah. for the reasons we put the first yeah. one on this, this follows the same, uh, it has the same bona fides. So are you guys going to run out of room on your shelves though? Is this Well, you've one? anticipated my wrinkle. You've anticipated oh. my wrinkle. Cause I'm also going to give it a peep for paranormal. Really enjoyed it. Really think it's a, it's a creepy movie. One of the all timers it's, it stands up. It's got some things that don't here and there, but I mean, just overall it's, it's, I, you know, it made me uncomfortable. It made me scared. It was awesome. Hey, Maddie, the things um, about you and me that don't hold up, let's be honest. So let's. Uh, you ain't kidding. <laughs> um, so they both are going to get a rate of people paranormal, but we're only keeping one on the shelf. To Amelia's <laughs> point, there's only so much room. Oh, I knew you were going to do it. So <laughs> <laughs> which one is it? The 1950s version or the 1970s version of this? adaptation of the novel invasion of body snatchers Tony. doesn't even hurt me to say it's the first one i i can't really that i'm shocked it's not it's not even a question ultimately wow. because it's got to be a person and then it's just person it's just about personal taste at that point I, it's not I don't look, sure it's better or worse i don't know but i i think you've got to give some credit for the first one coming up with a recipe first Yep, that they really just reused and updated, but True. it's not their recipe. This is Jack Jack Finney who wrote the novel worked on this movie. Mm. Like this is the this is bedrock. So if one is gonna mm. if one is gonna win, to me, it's got to be the first. And I, if Don a, Don Siegel has just I you know I don't know it's the first one. 
I, I'm pissed because they both belong on the shelf. See, I told you he's going to get mad. I'm, mad. I'm very upset. <laughs> uh, I intellectually agree with you, but there are moments in the 78 one that chilled me almost at a dead zone level. So I would actually choose the second one because while I appreciate the first one for what it means and what it is, and it was the first and all that, I give it all that just from a visceral watching experience, this one moved me more. So I would choose the second. So Amelia, we are split. So we're going to come to you for the tiebreaker. Which one goes up on the shelf? Oh, geez. Really? You got yeah. that on me? <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, boy, I don't know. You really put her on the spot, dude. It's fine. You're just doing this for ratings and for getting the people <laughs> set. I know you. Uh, well, you know, I I think you know without me having time to ponder this and go run around the block, um, I I would have to back up Tony on this because doing it first that really is. I mean, look, I, yeah, there's a first, lot to that. And that's not, I'm not going to say either. I mean, to me, it also works on me. Like, it, it's not like, well, they did it first, but it's creaky. It's like, no, they did it first yeah. and it still will cast a spell over me every time I see it mm -hmm. and work a magic. And, and that magic is, is, is uh, longer lived than the magic I feel from the second one. The second one, um, I feel suffers ultimately from too much personality. And there's something about the first one that, um, it's the, the the decade it was made, the style of acting and the dreamlike quality of the black and white all create a dream for me that I, I think is uh, is just perfect. And I'm down with that. I, I would say I would cop to this. This this one's pretty aware of itself to your point, yeah. Tony. Yeah. There, yeah, it's a little like little than me. Sometimes a little embarrassed that it's a horror movie. I feel mm. like in a way that the first mm. one isn't. I feel like mm. they are kind of like in a couple of moments. Like the way they handle Kevin McCarthy, for instance, it's great that they bring him back, but they really, that's a gag. That moment is kind of a yeah, funny moment more than anything else. And it man. could be, it could be, this is a deeper discussion that I shouldn't be doing this late in the episode, but could, to that point, are you getting the seeds, <laughs> the pod seeds? I see what you did there. <laughs> could this movie be the kind of Genesis of what annoys you now about horror? And that is, God forbid, we're just a horror movie. We got to have some messaging or be a little fancier, like all the psychology talk and all the things that this movie does to try to make itself a little bit higher class. Could this be the genesis of that, you know, messaging and horror type of thing or elevated horror? Could this be the first? No, I would, I would, I would put that complaint. I love the movie, but I would complain about the changeling more than this movie. I mean, I okay. think this movie is having fun being a a horror movie. I just think they're a little. They don't, I, I just think it's not, I don't think it's as perfectly well made as the first one. I, okay. I really don't. I, 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 it's it's fairly uneven. I, I'll grant you that. But um, I, lo I love the 70s messiness of it. The, the 70s mess of it kind of is one of the things that's great about it. So it's, yeah. it's just when you're making me decide here that I got to be. Well, you won. You won. And I'm happy for the win because I love the first one too. Like you said, a lot of it's just shilling for audience. And now it's time. You're a godsend. Savior. No, I'm I'm just the postman. The P4P mailbag. Hey, Maddie and Anthony. It's Alan with Cross the Line 1524. I've got a couple friends here who want to talk to you. Yo, Maddie, you told that Anthony that I'm bringing a friend. But we're coming for that rated P. 
a paranormal. Yo, Wano, what's that on your face? Rock, I told you, it's not a tumor. Now hurry up and get to the chopper. Yo, Matty, you told Anthony, it ain't how hard you hit. It's how hard your podcast. It's how you connect with the listeners. And how you know which show to put the movie on. Anthony, look out, cause I'll be back. I got one last thing to say. Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> Let's do our ridiculous top three segment of the evening. Donald Sutherland rocks one of the greatest man perms in the history of film in this movie. But Tony, let's memorialize this award before we get into our top choices. What's the ultimate perm that will be on the trophy for this award, do you think? Well, I think since it's already come up, I, I would say that the William Catt Memorial Award would be uh, appropriate from Carrie. Done. Done and done. Is that what you were thinking too? Yes, and I, from from Carrie to Greatest American Hero, right? that perm that perm didn't change a bit. Nah, that perm saved right. America. <laughs> Big blonde perm will be our uh, memorial award. Tony, um, would you like to start? What is your number three uh, greatest perm? In I would love history? to start. And did you categorize it? Did you did you make any um, adjustments as we somehow do? Like, well, I'm only going to do serious movies or something like that. It just turned out that way. It just did. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, it turned out that all of these are are in well considered serious movies, at least. Uh, whether they are or not, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, my number three has got to be Al Pacino and Cruising. Oh, I had it on my list. Okay, great. I'm making an honorable mention. It's it's so horrible. It's a great firm, and it doesn't fit suit him at all. <laughs> nope. And it is not. Uh, it's not a look he went back to. So Amelia's, Amelia's dying laughing. <laughs> Amelia, may I ask you, as as a like, I know my wife talks about perms all the time in her childhood, and her mom getting a perm, and her going to get a perm. Did you experience that in your in your childhood? Uh, not in my childhood. I I did um, uh, one of my early early plays. I they tried to give me a perm. They tried. Uh, didn't work. It didn't work. No, it didn't stick. It just. It <laughs> well, you have this very soft, looks like flowing hair. So I, yes. I, they gave yeah. you a lerm instead. <laughs> <laughs> they gave you a lerm. Great choice. <laughs> What's great about Al Pacino and cruising is it's not like the cliche curly perm. It's like a waved feathered perm that they locked into place. This is the one that he probably could do at home. But he managed to kind of do a self, self yes, care. Yes, yes, uh, that's a great one. Uh, my number three, I'm going to tie in Al Pacino because my number three is from a movie starring Al Pacino called Carlito's Way. Dude, I, that's it, my number two. Uh, Sean Penn is kind of yes, yes. Sean <laughs> yes. was cooked out of his mind. Yeah, oh, that term is so good. It so is good. one of the great, great hair things that ever happened in a movie. All right. Uh, do you, can you find another? N- number I do. Two? I have, I'll okay. put in, I'll put in a, uh, I'll put in a number two spur of the moment. Great. We're going to have Tony Roberts from Annie Hall. Yeah. One of the most ironclad <laughs> perms that ever happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. He rocked the perm for so years. Good. Really did. So good. Um, I must mention too, since we're on the subject, Donald Sutherland, igniting this hair talk um we talked for about i don't know the episode was about an hour but i think we talked 45 minutes about his hair in that movie that we reviewed that he was the star of about the haunting of the barn remember that movie and so this is the second time that donald sutherland has has sparked an elongated hair conversation a lot of work has gone into that hair over the years how about his feathered hair in ordinary people 
Do you remember, Wait, do you remember that movie? No, 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 no. Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland. <laughs> in Ordinary People, he, he so went from the, he went from the perm to the feather yeah. in the seventies. It was like, he did oh. that. he'd go yeah, back yeah. and forth. He really, he would do whatever you he asked. Had, he had some good hair. He did. I think the military styling lately has been, he's got Western hair that he does in Westerns, which is this really long, very droopy. Right. And then he has the buzz cut. Yes. Which, which it doesn't, it's oddly more virile than you'd yeah. think it would be. Yeah. Maybe that's a wig. I don't know. Quite possibly. Not a perm. It's off topic. I'm sorry. I know. But I just, Donald Sutherland's hand, hair is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> um, number two, I decided to go like Tony does, Amelia, with uh, art movies. He always goes for a deep pull where it's like, Oh my gosh, the 1933 French film, you got to see it. <laughs> oh, that's, and that's a good one. You can't. It is a good one. And yeah, it's never available. So <laughs> I went deep on this one because whenever I think about man's perms, I think of this guy, Paul Servanos. Now, he was in a bunch of movies that were pretty bad, and he was in a bunch of television shows. But when I tell you the part he played, you'll see why whenever someone mentions a male perm it's the first one that jumps into my mind paul servanos played buddy berkman in the episode of the brady bunch called adios johnny bravo when they try to make greg brady into a pop star named johnny bravo and he's the one who delivers the dialogue you fit the jacket man you fit the coat <laughs> he was in the jean outfit and he had this man perm this black man perm that is Literally, they should build a statue. Of What's it. his name? I got to look at this. Paul Cervanos. C-E-R-V-A-N-O-S. Look up um, Adios Johnny Bravo, and you'll see some screen images of him standing next to Greg Brady. I don't know why I remember this episode so well. Well, was, Greg Brady's got some good work going on say, himself. I was going to He's got a good perm. Oh, okay, yeah. if, if, you look, if you look, Adios Johnny Bravo... Um, there's a picture of Greg and a blonde lady and a guy to his right holding, like he's wearing oh. the, it's like oh. the second image on Google oh, yeah. search. Okay, great. That dude. How, do you know this guy? Was he in Rocky or something? No, I just know him from this. And then I, I, I saw him my whole childhood. Like he'd show up in love boats and right. uh, he was in, if, that, if that's he was in mash, that's just like hell's angels hair. I don't know. Dude, what is it's that? a perm. <laughs> it's a wow. perm. And if I may, because this is, I barely graduated high school, but I can quote song lyrics and movie things like I'm a savant about that stuff. And I still remember that episode, the, the Greg Brady becoming a star. So he blows off the rest of the Brady six. And there's a scene when he pulls in in his convertible car and the Brady kids are lined up outside his convertible to give him a what for, you know, to say like, where were you at rehearsal, Greg? And he's like, please, I'm Johnny Bravo, you know? And the Brady kids are aligned by height as kids do. And each one delivers like a biting line of dialogue and walks away. And then the last one left is little Cindy. And Greg goes to her, takes the shades off and he goes, you understand, Cindy, I'm going to be a big star. And Cindy goes, yes, Greg, but a very small person. And walks away. <laughs> <laughs> one of the great moments of my life. Um, you do what you do that well. That's not an impression I, I see a lot of people do anymore, but you have you're making a case for bringing it back. I mean, that's that's great screenwriting, yes, Greg, but a very small person. <laughs> so, uh, Paul Servanos, <laughs> there's scenes when 
uh, Johnny Bravo singing or they're playing the tape of Greg's music. And he's like, the ultimate muchacho, Johnny Bravo. And they just cut to this guy, this actor, uh, Paul Cervantes, literally going like. (laughs) (laughs) Doing that 60s dance like that. And it goes on forever. It's glorious. I have to check it out. Yeah. The ultimate muchacho, Johnny Bravo. And then the big payoff at the end is. They had this cool, like, Spanish mm-hmm. bullfighter jacket. He realizes he's just being used. And he goes, well, why'd you use me? And they go, because you fit the jacket. And she goes, yeah, man, you fit the jacket. And actually, now that I'm bringing this up on my 10-minute monologue about a stupid episode of The Brady Bunch <laughs> that totally killed this whole show, <laughs> it's a precursor to predicting American Idol and all these contest shows and the making of boy bands. It's actually a predictor of boy bands. You know what I mean? When you think about it. Because well, they just, they go, hey, man, you fit the suit. That's why we picked you. It's not your talent. It's your look and your thing. So it was a hard day's night, dude. No, that's a good point. But maybe this one beat it, actually, to the punch. I don't know. No. no hard, this was after. hard day's night. Was I don't know when the break. I didn't really watch it. or something like that. Okay, sorry. Yeah, shows about happy families just made was me there, confused. Was there a name to that little dance you did? Like, what 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 would you call that little I'm going to call it the, uh, I'm going to call it the Buddy Berkman. All right. Yeah, so just for for people who can't see you, is that your? Yeah, it's uh, he. <laughs> well, he take a screenshot of this, lot, Tony. You look a lot like the Sasquatch uh, sticker behind you when you do that. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's an attempt to do the twist. You gotta get a screen grab of one of those dances. We'll use it. Was that th- was that your final and word on this? No, I've I still have a number one. You still have more. It's incredible. <laughs> and I, I'm telling you, like, look, I got a hard out, and then I just did 15 minutes on the Brady Bunch. All right, I don't know if I, I have time for my first, but if you'd like, Go ahead. To hear my number number one, one, Eric Roberts and Pope of Greenwich Village. How did I not even think of that? That movie. Great movie. Great perm. I got to Google his image just so I can see it. I think Sean Penn got the idea for doing a perm in Carlita's way based on this perm. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The two of them. But a couple of handsome guys. That is a perm, too. That is a manufactured perm. That is not like, oh, he's got curly hair. Let's just comb it a certain way. Like That is a... I think he went to, like, the actual neighborhood (laughs) to do it. Yes. He wasn't messing around. Did I ever tell you I had breakfast next to um, Eric Roberts, Roberts, Mickey Rourke? Mickey Rourke. Yeah, I was shooting a commercial. This is not that long ago. This is like, you know, 10 years ago or so, or 15 years ago, my New York City years. And I was That's a long a Mickey, Mickey that, that Rourke, kind of a long Mickey ago. years. Cause but he, I mean, yeah, right. That's true. That's true. What um, face did you see? I don't know which yeah, one. Yeah, which face did he have? Uh, it was pretty, it was, it was definitely like still wicked tight plastic surgery because I almost didn't recognize him. He was puffy. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if he was there recouping from plastic surgery because he was so like he could barely talk and i was staying at this kind of boutique fancy hotel in in downtown hollywood because i was shooting a commercial in la and i was just having breakfast on a day off and i'm eating and there's a man eating down the end of the breakfast bar from me and he was huddled you know big guy and he goes uh you like these eggs these eggs work for you and i'm like and i look and i look and i'm like oh my god it's freaking he starts talking to you yeah 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 and i go yeah they're not bad he's like i don't know he's like i think they're watery i think they make them i think it's a powder you know eggs are powder now there's a lot of powder eggs (laughs) and we just chatted and it's so rare that like a big celebrity is the one who starts the conversation he was so nice yeah no he just started chatting me up what are you in town for i said i'm shooting a commercial good good for you man good for you right on right on 
It was crazy. That's crazy. Interesting. Another pointless story. And then he got up and danced like this. <laughs> In a way that they can't see. Yeah. It's an audio podcast. No one can see what I'm doing. So thank God. My number one is I'll get right to it from Jaws. Getting right to it is that ship has passed. So don't even bother saying that. <laughs> My number one is Michael Caine in Jaws for the Revenge. Oh, good one. Now, good Michael Caine's perm. This is I did research on this because I was like, he has curly hair. So be careful because that might not be. It could just be salty, salty right. air in his Oh, no, air. no, my friend. Oh, no, no, my friend. No. <laughs> his perm started getting bad in the early 80s. Uh, dressed to kill. Those are not his natural curls. That is like cemented in. And then by the time he gets to Victory, was- the Sylvester Stallone movie, I want you and your brother to cover, please. Um, it's a perm. Yeah. But Jaws for the Revenge is like jerry curl perm it's the it last is, stand it's just it's, like it reached its apex right it's like 2001 a space odyssey right. it's like the the obelisk was handed yeah. to the now this ape. My, my hair will be gone soon so <laughs> i might as well go out with a, it's this last one's gonna be a doozy it's unintentionally hilarious like every time they cut to him it's just like that is not real it's awesome so thank that you, is Michael a Kane. that is a brilliant choice. <laughs> that was very well thought out. <laughs> um, the more ridiculous the thing, the more work I do for it. By the way, if, in case you've <laughs> noticed, Amelia, thank you for classing us up. Um, by the way, I keep saying like, oh, our special guest, please, 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 you are welcome on this podcast anytime. Just come on. You're 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 one of us. When we're recording, just wander in and be like, that is not true. <laughs> yes, please, please. Yeah. Or just go like, will you shut up about the Brady Bunch? Right. Oh, God, he goes on forever and ever. Um, there was one honorable mention Tony has up there, which is William Cat and Carrie. Well, he is the actual, you missed that brief thing with that. He's the, uh, they named the award after. Oh, I missed the that. Honorary I'm William sorry. Cat I'm so sorry. Award. Oh, there is an honorable mention. Bradley Cooper and American Hustle. No. <laughs> okay. This has been... <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys bye we hope you've enjoyed this edition of rated p for paranormal please rate review and share it really does make a difference for more information to participate and even donate go to our main page anchor.fm slash rated paranormal on social media we're at rated paranormal all music is by andrew goldens jr you can find him on instagram at kid riga or go to the rocketscience.bandcamp.com This podcast was created, written, produced, and edited by Maddie Blake and Anthony Arkin. Don't worry, Amelia. Come with Tony and I. Everything (laughs) will be fine. Come on, guys. It's not aliens.